This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Hallowell and Chris Field, the Church Boys. From the sublime to the ridiculous, but mostly ridiculous. And I hate these guys. Well, 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 welcome back. We are here. We are queer. We're not going skiing. Well, one of us is here and not going skiing. Um, We have a very special episode today, and by special, I mean not great. Um, Billy Hallowell, his wife decided... to give Billy a little bit of credit, I have to travel the end of this week going to Seattle, and so we were recording on a Wednesday, and we planned all along to go ahead and record on Wednesday and, and do this show, <clears throat> and Billy's wife, Andrea, his lovely, wonderful wife, Andrea, who took pity on him and decided to marry him and then sleep with him uh, for whatever reason, um, is actually in labor today, and so they went in, what, that, what time, what, they went in around, I don't know, 12.30 this morning. And uh, so they're doing that. So we have decided that um, because this show is uh, hosted by rank amateurs, why not bring in someone in even more rank and more amateurish and uh, to help co-host? So I would like to introduce our substitute co-host today, uh, one Miss uh, um, uh, Sarah Rivette. How are you, Sarah? Well, hello. Yes, and I got a, a text from Billy at 12.45 a, a.m. Eastern Time, which is 11.45 Central Time, where I am. Right. And uh, he's like, yo, we're going to the hospital. Her water just broke. And I'm like, finally, because, you know, Billy thinks that he is a little bit clairvoyant in terms of predicting right. his, the baby's birth. And he's a, he was well over a week off. I and know. it kind of was a little bit of a justification for me. And I, I was happy that he was wrong, but I felt really bad for his nine month pregnant wife, Andrea. <laughs> well, and you and Andrea are friends. So you take, you take pity on her because you understand what she's suffering through. Yes. Um, not as intimately as she does, obviously. Um, no. uh, one would assume anyway. Well, I mean, um, she didn't marry Billy. So there's a lot of that's suffering true. there. That's true. And I still contend that the babies aren't his. That's just my thing. And that has nothing to do with Andrea. It has everything to do with Billy's, well, we'll just go ahead and skip that topic. <laughs> so, um, we were we were getting this set up, and I was giving uh, Rivette a hard time about may, not being a professional, having trouble with technology because she had to set up. What was your Skype issue? Because we do this over Skype. What was your Skype problem? So I created Skype, I think, three years ago when I deployed to Afghanistan, and I was like, "Oh, I'll use Skype to talk to my family." Right. And it worked while I was there, but every time I try to log into Skype, I have a password issue. <clears throat> and I can't get in and I try to reset it and it brings me to like all these little little widgets and loopholes and obstacles and I swear a lot and I throw <laughs> things and I curse technology and yeah. I curse myself for not knowing technology. So um, it's a vicious cycle that repeats itself about once a week with some kind of platform, whether it's Skype or Facebook or Twitter or I don't know, even logging into my Blaze computer. Sometimes right. I forget the password for that. So it's... um. I am a little special when it comes to technology. <laughs> Special's a word. Well, and I was going to give you a super hard time about it this morning as we were. Oh, you've you've inspired me just a moment. Oh, yes, uh, Diet Dr Pepper over here. Uh, a little Diet Coke over here. Uh, nectar, oh the gods. Now, uh, 
I was going to give you a hard time about being technologically challenged or, or I'm word challenged, but, uh, but then we were trying to get this thing set up and I redid my office last night and I was up till one thirty this morning, resetting up the studio and things. And I didn't have everything wired correctly. And so we started the show. What was this? Did we finally get right on about the sixth time we started the show. So you're hearing, <laughs> believe it or not, folks, you're hearing the polished version. Yeah, it, it took us a while to get to this point, which made me laugh because it then made me feel better because I've never done anything on radio before. Right. I think my first radio interview ever was with you and Billy. Right. And so it, it definitely puts me at ease to know that I am in like company in terms of skill and professionalism level. And, and incompetence. So I'm okay with so that's that. Fine. Yeah, that's good. So uh, people want to, you've been on the show before a few times and uh, and we love having you, mostly because it makes Billy uncomfortable. <laughs> But people don't know maybe a whole lot about you. Now, the last time you were on, you kind of shared some stuff about yourself and you you spoke about a piece that you had written about military families. But why don't you just take a moment and, in all seriousness, let people kind of know who you are and what it is you do and a little bit of your background. All seriousness? Okay, so you it's, don't want to know that I'm has, a Capricorn and that well, you can, I, I Capricorns, have... A... Capricorns are delicious. So if you want to talk about <laughs> being a Capricorn, that's fine. Uh, since they're like, I think they're half goat, so that makes sense. Goat is delicious. Um, but so I'm Sarah. I'm originally from a small town in New York, and I've worked at the Blaze. It'll be two years in about three weeks. Um, and I've, I'm a commentary editor here, which means I handle all of the outside contributors, anybody who writes opinion pieces or commentary and analysis on current events, politics, and stuff like that. They all they work with me. We have a, a network of about 140 outside contributors right now. We're always looking to grow. Mm -hmm. um, and we're, we're looking for folks who, you know, who bring a different perspective that will resonate with our audience. Um, so that's kind of important. But anyway, I've been doing it for about two years. But I've more importantly, I've known Billy for 12 years now, which is a third of his life and a third of my life, and that's just outrageous. Now, do you get the same night terrors the rest of us do? Uh, yes. I Has do. he ever met your... You were talking about night terrors before. Has he ever met your baby, your child? He has not met Emily yet. He oh, came okay. to... Um, him and Andrea actually came to my baby shower this week of last year okay, um, right. before Emily was born. And it was the first time that he went out to a gun range and shot guns. And now, see, that sounds to me like it maybe it could have been quite the adventure taking Billy out for the shooting for the first time. Yeah, it was. He didn't hurt himself I was or terrified others. Terrified for them. Okay. <laughs> but you know, he was in the very capable hands of my husband, which I guess could lead into a back into my story a little bit. I'm married to a man in the Air Force, and he's been in the Air Force for ten years, and wow. he's extremely capable of teaching anybody how to shoot a gun. He's the one that really kind of taught me. My dad had taught me when I was younger and I've always been a, you know, a gun enthusiast, but it's a perishable skill. And now so the, you, the you Air, forget the, the air force. Now that's the Trump tower of the armed forces, right? Depends on who you cushy, ask. But cushy yes. and fancy. Okay. That's what I thought. And I have friends in the, I have friends in, well, all the branches, but they always talk about how the air force, including the air force people, how the air force is like the hoity toity branch of the military they i think that there's a saying it's like why sleep in the the dirt like the marines why sleep in a a bunk like the army or sleep in a, a submarine like a, a sailor when you can sleep at home in your own bed like the air force it's something <laughs> like that i don't know the exact verbiage but yeah they're pretty um they're they're kind of pampered <laughs> is your husband a lifer is he going to be in for a long time 
Yeah, we're going to do the full 20 as long as the Air Force lets us because they're, you know, as everybody knows, they're downsizing and they're Mm -hmm. cutting positions and they're kind of doing some crazy stuff with the budget. But um, as long as they'll have us, I think that we'll stay. Okay, good. All right. So you've got a kid, you're married, you're you're an army, you're a a military wife um, and you you went to Afghanistan for a while as a Mm -hmm. contractor, right? No, no, as as a DOD civilian, so I oh, was for civilian. the army. Okay, okay. Um, which is a is, is a huge distinction because mm-hmm. the difference between you know being a federal employee and a contractor, there's a huge stigma there. Oh, yeah. Stigma for federal employees too. But that was um, the summer before I came to the Blaze. I had just gotten home from Afghanistan. I did 16 months at Bagram Air Force Base. Oh wow! Working um, public affairs, which is like media relations, and um, I read. <laughs> probably like 200,000 news stories in the course of 16 months, all about Afghanistan. Um, And I'm glad to say that I don't read that volume anymore. Right. And how did you get into that job? Uh, I was originally um, a news reporter in a small town, also in upstate New York, not where I grew up, but on the other side of, of the state called Watertown. And I was the military reporter for the paper, they had a military base um, in, in that area called Fort Drum. It's the home of the 10th Mountain Division. And mm-hmm. I was there. That was my beat. I covered the military and its impact on the community and also like kind of what they were doing in terms of the, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Okay, cool. So, um, and are you a, now, see, I don't know the answer to this question because it's going to, uh, it could horribly impact our relationship. How are, exciting. Are you a journalism major? I was. Oh, just... And do you want me to make it even worse for you? Yes, go because ahead. Might, might as well. I know. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna keep digging my my little grave here so you can bury me in it. Not only was I a journalism major in undergrad, I went to graduate school for it as well. Did you go to Columbia? I may have. I know. So at disappointing. The time, it seems so important. And at the time, it I, seemed like a really good idea. <laughs> and looking back, it, it was, I know that it was the worst idea I've ever made financially. And like, I mean, career wise, I got all of my jobs because oh, I had sure. that three, those three words on my resume. But financially, it was the stupidest thing I've ever done. <laughs> Did you? Okay, let me ask you a, a serious question about that because I've known. I've had journalism friends who went to journalism school, including at Columbia. Did you get a good education there? Did you, do you feel like not that you already said it was a financially a bad decision. So I'm not going to ask if you got your money's worth, but what do you think of the education you received there? At the time I went, I graduated in 2008 from, from the J school. And at the time it was all about new media and digital technology and how, you know, print publication was dying and they didn't really have a great grasp on that new reality because right. no one really did. Right. So looking back, I kind of feel like we never talked about analytics. We never talked about metrics. We never talked about like the practicalities of a 24 news, um, a 24 hour news cycle. Um, and like what kind of impact that had on you. So we came out with a very traditional interpretation of journalism. Right. Um, I will say that the, the law classes and the ethics classes and the discussions that we had that are always going to be surrounded by journalism, whether it's digital or print, sure. um, were really, really great. And I met some good people and I had some fantastic um, professors. But I feel like and, and 
could be very different now. This was, you know, oh my God, eight years ago, but. Right. Well, journalism's it, changed a lot in the last eight years. I mean. Yep. I so mean, at the time, lot. everyone was kind of confused. We didn't even talk about social media right. when I was there. It wasn't right. even like a topic of this is how you drive traffic or how right. you oh, yeah. entice readers. So yeah. All right. Okay, so we have um, one rank amateur talking to a rankier uh, amateur here. And um, so I, we kind of, Sarah was asking me before, well, kind of, what are the rules for being on the air? Now, <laughs> this is a church boy's podcast so we try to keep it relatively clean and so um it, it doesn't yet air on radio however we are part of the blaze radio network so we had to be careful about the way we speak and those sorts of things uh so um so you being a military wife and closely tied to the military and have actually spent time uh, overseas uh, are there any questions that you have about what you can and cannot say on the radio i will say that i am affluent in swearing <laughs> That's, that's fantastic. I employ, I employ it pretty regularly. Um, so I would <laughs> toward, like to play. Toward, wait, toward the contributors? Do they know this? Um, no, just in general. <laughs> okay. I mean, everything. Oh, and I need to, because I have a 10-month-old who learns how oh, to do everything that I do, it's, my life is over. Like I, I find myself stopping everything that I say, uh, and my husband yells at me constantly because of it. But... So I would like to play a game of can I say? All right. <laughs> okay. So just a sec. No, for all for you know for all you uh, you know would be broadcasters out there, this is probably not the best thing to do for your career. Uh, no. However, because again we are unprofessional, we're just going to go ahead and do this. And um, boys and girls, maybe you can learn a lesson or two here on how not to conduct yourself on the radio. And, and by the way, I should I should also point out we will if you say anything. This is not obviously not live. If you say anything that can't be said, I will go back and and bleep it out. So you you've got that cover uh, for you. And I should also say that I, I think you know I'm not one who swears. I mean that's just not part of my vocabulary. I'm, I, you know I'm I'm, you know, you know I would call myself Nancy Nazar Nancy Nazarene if I were a female, but I've. So I'm, I'm not a swearer. I'm not offended by swearing, but just kind of let you know. Well, I think that that's part of the reason why I think that this is even better because I have a feeling it's going to make you incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> okay, so let's go ahead. Things. Now, what's the game? What was the game? You're, what are you calling this? Can I say? Can. Let me write this down so we can put it in our. Uh, can I say? And then I feel like we should have okay. some kind of dramatic music, but you can figure that okay, one out so, later. So wait, so dramatic music as far like as... Like game showy music? Oh, you know maybe? what? Wait, just a minute. So if I... Let's see. If I say... Uh, let's. This is what professional radio sounds like, boys and girls. Uh, <laughs> let me say, do you like this sound? No, that's too, that's too long. Just a second. That's pretty long, but we can do that. Okay, so if, if you give one that we cannot say, I'll, you'll get this. So and I'll bleep it out. If you get one, we can say. Is there a long? Is there a, a uh, uh? No, that's our awkward transition music. Oh, I love I that music. That. I know you do. That's fun. Uh, how about? That's too. That's weird. Okay, we'll do. Uh, yeah, that one's okay. You like that one? The the, the earlier one. That one yeah, this that one, one is creepy. like that one's all like kind of voodoo-y, The last one. Spoons. Okay. Uh, no, that's dumb. Dumb, also dumb. Well, we could do that one, or we can do what? the second, the first one. The wait just a second. 
That one or or this one? That one? That one. Okay, yeah. so if you can say it, we'll do If you can't, we do Okay. Sounds good. So I've got I've got to write these down here. Uh chime one and fail. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. So go ahead. Can All right. You, this is a the, the new the new game that's taking the country by storm. Can I <laughs> can I say? Here we go. I'm gonna laugh through this whole piece. Okay. Would you try can to be I... this is a very serious show? Would you try to be it a is, little bit serious. Okay. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> can I say? Uh, what, 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 uh, let's do this. It depends on context, however. Okay. Is that going to be the answer for every if you're single using, one? Well, if you're using it as an adjective, which it actually comes from the being drunk, it's an old British, you know. I'm you pissed. Know. Right, yeah. right. Okay. But if you use it as a verb. Where I'm pissed as an angry? No, if you are, if you're using, that's also an adjective, Miss oh, Editor. yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> If you use it as a <laughs> verb, as in um, bladder evacuation, I'm we probably can't say that. So I will write down uh, as as no. Um, <laughs> thank, Where's my, where's my, where's my buzzer? Thank, thank you for <laughs> one again. Here we go. There we go. Okay, so uh, we, we we can use as an adjective. But not as a verb. So, so there we and, go. And that goes back to why I wasted a tremendous amount of money at Columbia because I apparently don't know the difference between an adjective and a verb today. <laughs> but that's, anyway, that's okay. Can okay, so, I so, say? Oh, are we ready? Okay. Item item number item number two or question number two under can I say? Can I say? <clears throat> it's. <laughs> Yes. Depends depends on the context again. If you are referring to someone being a jerk, yes. Uh, we have actually said that on this show. If, however, you're talking about anatomy. Well, that rules out my next two. Okay, well... <laughs> Give, give, give it a go. Can I, can I say Unsub us? Unsubscribe, unsubscribe, unsubscribe. <laughs> yeah, this is a very holy episode um, of um, Church Boys. And by holy, I mean it's going to have a lot of bleeps and holes throughout it. Um. So, so yes, actually. Even, wait. Yes, uh. Unless it's connected to another word uh, that means, well, unless it's connected to whole. Again, ladies and gentlemen, what we're doing here uh, is a, a, a public service that's going to get us fired. <laughs> Maybe we should just delete this whole section. <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, we're 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 doing a public service here, and ladies, uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, as you listen to this uh, on your way to church today, uh, understand um, that we're doing this as uh, not only informational but also as a ministry opportunity to this poor woman uh, who has 
been subjugated and subject to uh, military life. Um, I really see it as educational. It's educational. So, um, uh, okay, next question in the, um, hmm, in the can I say? Can I say No. <laughs> What's going on? All right. Okay, next well, item in can I say, what can I say? Is- this uh, is on the last, the last one on my list. can I say this on the last episode of the Church Boys? <laughs> this is the last one on my okay. list because okay. there's obvious ones that I know right. that I there's can't say. There's the seven say. dirty words, right? Like right. the f bomb. I can't right. drop sure. that. Sure. Um, Correct. Which I do on a daily basis in conversations with people <sighs> privately, but I won't do that on the show. <laughs> can I say? You're stumped. Yes. Okay. That surprised me. I okay. thought that was going to be a now. Note. Now, in that context, I'm letting you get away with it. If, however, we're reading a story or we're talking about a story, and you go, S-. okay, then I'm going to go, okay. So uh, I also have to go now and edit myself. This is going to take a long. It's a good thing we're recording this on Wednesday because. I've got a lot I'm of work. So sorry. <laughs> okay, so we can okay. move on from the game. <clears throat> I think we've traumatized <laughs> enough people for today. Jeez, Pete, we're so fired. <laughs> Are we really? No. <laughs> uh, I'll talk to Billy about it. <clears throat> <laughs> okay. He answers text messages. He has. He's been MIA for about twenty minutes. Okay, so I might. <laughs> All right, well, we'll fix this in post. I might go and just beep everything out and then just say things that are okay. And, um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how this turns out. <clears throat> okay, this should be this should be a fun final episode of The Church Boys. It has been a good ride. Um, <laughs> but Sarah, that screwed it up for all of us. <laughs> okay. And we always tell people this is kind of like a guy talk show where we just we try to keep it clean and talk those kinds of things. So understand this is female host is the one that's right. loose. so this is ladies and gentlemen we want you to understand this is not us being offensive this is sarah being offensive <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, this, this so. show is also all about to be was supposed to be all about blaming billy for stuff right so now it's all about blaming sarah and now we're blaming billy for uh the baby issue again yeah. We ba- we blame Billy for as far as we can prove that the child is his. He actually is in the hospital with the woman to whom he is married, and she is giving birth to a child. Uh, and that's as far as we can go, as far as the facts that we know for sure. We can mm-hmm. allege uh, his paternal connection to the child. Uh, again, as a journalist, you have to say allege when you can't prove something, right? I mean, you learned that in J school, I'm sure. I, I think at so. some point. I might have skipped that class. <laughs> So. Like the, I, I skipped. Apparently, I skipped the class on professionalism and swear words, also. That's so right. and verbs and adjectives. So, <laughs> delivery. Did you? Now you've only got the one child. Did you guys have any adventures with delivering your kid? Oh, oh, oh wait a minute. Uh-huh. You're the one. It just struck me as I asked you that question. I'm the one. Okay. What? Because Billy has talked about the. Yes. Okay. Oh so you want to talk about being lewd? Okay? okay. So let's let me let me. I didn't realize it until after I'd asked the question. If you don't want to talk about it. That's not an issue. No, no, no. I'm fine telling people about it. Okay. 
Um, but, no, this is actually but, a serious, a semi-serious story. Yeah, it, okay. it actually is. Um, so but, but Billy likes to, what does he call it? He calls it my blame the placenta story. <laughs> I don't know if you can say placenta can on say the air or not, but air, I totally Because am. it's part of the story. It's, it's, yes, it's fine. <laughs> so um, first child, pregnancy was fantastic. Like, you know, normal mood swings, a little bit of nausea, some uncomfortableness. But like in terms of health-wise for me and baby, everything was wonderful. Um Towards the end, they start doing like an ultrasound every week just to make sure, you know, things are going okay. So I go to my 36-week ultrasound, no problems. A week later, I go to my 37-week ultrasound, and then all of a sudden, like, they're, like you need to be induced today. Mm-hmm. So apparently, I had lost the majority of my amniotic fluid, and my Weird. uterus gave my daughter an eviction notice and said, goodbye, have no, a nice how, day. How did you lose the, can I ask, how did you lose the fluid? Um, apparently it was an issue from about 32 weeks and on and no one noticed. So is it like your water, like like your water broke early kind of deal? No, it wasn't like, it wasn't anything that serious. It was that my, um, the placenta wasn't connected to the uterus properly and it wasn't getting the amount of nutrition or, um, fluid from my body that it needed. Gotcha. So I was still gaining weight, but baby wasn't gaining weight. Well, that's just that's just the worst. You get cankles, the back <laughs> fat, stretch marks, everything. <laughs> um, but like so, and honestly, that's what uh, I guess government healthcare will give you because I was going to the military for the entire time. Right. So I was going through the military healthcare system for all of this, and I mean, even though I was having an appointment every week, and I had had another an ultrasound from the time when it became an issue. Um. They, no one noticed. Mm. So anyway, I um, went to this ultrasound. My mother-in-law was with me. And we thought that we were going to go home and make these freezer meals for ahead of time um, for, for when the baby was born. And then we get a call and they're like, you need to come back in now. There's a problem. We're going to need to send you to get induced. And um, you're going to need to have this baby today. So really stressful day. Uh, threw my plans for a natural birth out the window because, as you all know from my last appearance on The Church Boys, I am an essential oil user and a little bit of a hippie. How long have you been an essential oil user? Actually, around this time. So, if you had started, started so essentially, if you had started the essential oils earlier, you may have saved uh, yourself no. all these problems. Okay. No, it, nothing would have stopped it. It basically was like my body, you know, some, some women just. I, from the way that it was explained to me, there was nothing that I could have done to prevent it. Mm. So I don't know. Anyway, but so through my ideas for a natural childbirth out the window, because in looking back, I don't know why I wanted to do that. That was just one of those things that crazy pregnancy hormones make you think is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Natural childbirth, having been through it, sounds like an awful idea. <laughs> and I don't think that I will ever have a natural childbirth. <laughs> My wife's, so my wife's philosophy on that, because we talked about not having an epidural and that sort of thing about, I said, listen, it's up to you, right? Because mm-hmm. there are some people who warn, you know, any chemicals you introduce can cause harm to the body, to the baby and that sort of thing. There's the potential for harm. Okay. We, we get that. But really they perfected it to a point where really it's not really. And so my wife was talking to one of my, my, one of my aunts about it when we were, she was pregnant with our first child and my aunt says, you know, you don't get an award for not having an epidural, right? 
And it's like, exactly. you might think it's, it's a pride thing for you. And I want to do this. And she said, there's no certificate. There's no trophy. Get the frigging epidural. Mm-hmm. And so my wife goes, oh, okay. So then she kind of talked her into it. So, and it worked out just fine, actually. And I actually, um, I have a, a, a blog that I keep about, you know, being a new mom. And I very, I'm very much like a practical standpoint kind of person. Mm-hmm. And for me, you're going to have the baby one way or the other. It just depends on your level of comfort and your level of tolerance. Right. Um, for me, after they pumped my body through of induction drugs, which <laughs> make you go from like no labor to active labor in a matter of hours versus mm-hmm. a matter of days in the natural process. Um, I was like, give me every single drug that you have in this hospital and give it to me now. Um, and unfortunately the, <laughs> the anesthesiologist was on the receiving end of that verbal assault. And, um, he heard me say a lot more words that you can't say on the air. <laughs> so much so that my delivery nurse who was amazing she even she was like surprised at the the number of profanities that I hurled at this poor man um and she's seen you know multiple women give birth in all various stages of (laughs) drug use but um so but so anyway, we get, I'm in the hospital for 24 hours, nothing happens, my water breaks, and then things progress really quickly. And so at the time when I felt like I needed to push, I had my epidural and, you know, everything is great. My nurse comes in to check on me and I say, I think that I'm, I'm ready to have this baby. All of a sudden, this code sounds on the floor and it's a small delivery ward at the, the military hospital here in San Antonio. And... Um, Everybody has to rush to get the OR ready for this emergency C-section. Uh. All of the doctors, all of the neonatal team, all of the pediatric people, my nurse included. So everyone leaves um, for about 15 minutes and my nurse comes back and I said, yep, I think that I'm ready still, you know, like mm-hmm. I was 10 minutes ago. And she takes a look and lo and behold, my daughter is crowning. <laughs> and she's like, there's no one here to deliver this baby because everyone is in the OR with this other patient. Right. And she goes completely white oh, and no. is like, I'm going to have to deliver this baby on my own. <laughs> Resume builder, and, that's good. Yeah, in my drug-induced super, stupor, I was like, yeah, fine, you got this. We can handle it. It's right. totally okay. Right. We can d- so, you know, crisis averted, the team came back in and everything was fine. And she was born and she was healthy and wonderful. Um, five pounds, one ounce, mm. little itty bitty baby thing. Mm. Um, but, you know, it was pretty funny looking at my, my delivery nurse and th- her thinking that she was going to have to do it all on her own. And, for get, a few and get sworn at. <laughs> no, she didn't. Uh, she did not receive any of my profanities. Okay, it was yeah. only the anesthesiologist okay. who... Um, was was my target so oh he because he told me to hold still during my contractions right so he could stick that needle into my back and i wasn't happy about his instructions to hold still (laughs) i was like have you ever tried to sit through labor and hold still seriously (laughs) really so yeah but there's nothing worse i'm nothing worse there's very few things worse than i can imagine that as far as to put yourself through mentally than to have something feel like it's going wrong during delivery mm. right like when we were in when we were in the hospital in virginia um with number two with colty he uh had some health issues in utero some kidney development issues and he's, he's fine now thank god but um in utero and we had some other issues and stuff and uh so my wife's in labor and then suddenly and she doesn't know she's pushing 
and the baby's heart rate just he his heart rate just drops precipitously. Oh. It was terrible, but she never thankfully she never saw it. But like there are red lights flashing in the room, and like the oh. nurses station is just down the hall. You can hear little alarm bells going off in there. So there's nurses running in here to help. And JC, my wife, just thinks that you know they're coming in to help deliver the baby. And the doctor was just amazing. She's just, uh, she was unbelievable. My wife loves her and still wishes she could go. We're on the West Coast now. My wife wishes we could, she could still go somehow have this woman as her, as her lady barge doctor, you know. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so she, they're delivering and one of the nurses say, are you seeing this? And the doctor says, mm-hmm. And they're just very professional and they deliver the baby. And there was never any, I mean, there, it never, there was any long dam- term damage or anything, certainly. But the lights are going, I'm, I'm just as the father standing there, supporting the wife and doing whatever the doctor asked me to do, but I'm seeing the flashing lights and the big red screen coming on. Thankfully, you know, my wife never thought she'd have panicked, but that's just, it's the worst. It's, it is that, the worst. That moment when you, you, you think, cause there's nothing you can do. You I have know. no control. I know. You can't change what's going to happen. And it is, it's terrifying children, having children and being a parent is the most terrifying thing that I've ever done. Yeah. Oh it, yeah. It's yeah. like, but I love it. Right. Even even when my daughter you know, gets sick like this week or is awake at midnight just screaming because she's had her first night terror and right. I have no idea what to do. Oh, kids are the so. worst. They really are. So we had a couple Thanksgiving stories that we were going to have you tell, but I think maybe <laughs> we'll hold those for the next time you're on. We'll see. Or maybe in the next break or in a later break today. But before we go to a first break, I want to see if we can get a hold of Pedro. Okay. Okay. He sent me his number. So I'm going to see if I can add him on here to the call. Uh, let me see here. Let's see if he's going to pick up. We're calling a, we're calling a friend of ours here. See if he'll pick up. It's ringing. That's good. That's a good sign. Hello. Hello. Is this Pedro Cortez? It is. Uh, this is Chris Field with the Church Boys. Uh, I was wondering, oh, are you are you are you you okay coming on with us for a second here? Yes, sir. Okay, we're recording right now, so it's it's. I mean, it's not live on air, but it's we're recording. This will be part of the show uh, because we're that kind you of. You mean perfect. you don't do this live? Uh, you know, week? you think you'd know that by now. Uh, but uh, we wanted to see if you want to come on, just say hey and see what's going on. I have Sarah Rivette here with me. She's. Um, She's rank amateur substitute host since Billy is claiming to be in the hospital. What we have decided is that Billy is in the hospital with a woman who is his wife and is pregnant and giving birth to a baby. We have no proof that the baby's his. Um, <laughs> but he is there in the hospital with his wife who's giving birth. And it's not, it's not supposed to be a, a, a criticism of Andrea in any way. It is simply a disbelief on our part that anyone would have Billy's child. So. Yes. Hi, Pedro. Okay. Hi, hi, Sarah. So, so how you doing, man? Doing good. Just so, got back from vacation, so I'm you went needing to, another vacation. You went to so. San Diego, right? Or is this a different vacation? I, I did. No, it was that one. Yeah. And how was it? It was great. I yeah. drove too much. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Well, this is the first time uh, that I've actually heard your voice, and I didn't know. You know, don't get mad at me, but I don't know if you're going to answer in Spanish or, or how, how are you going to answer. So <laughs> I see Pedro. I thought about it. <laughs> I always pronounce Whenever I see your name on Twitter or Facebook or anything, I always pronounce it the way that the principal did in uh, Napoleon Dynamite with Pedro Sanchez. I tell you Pedro Cortez. 
So uh, I know that this. I wore, I wore I wore my vote for Pedro shirt a couple of days ago, actually. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, Billy and I have become friends with you on Facebook and Twitter and stuff, and you have kind of become number one fan, which we really appreciate, and it's awesome. Um, but we just wanted to call and say yeah. hey and and see what's up. And I know you you went on vacation to to San Diego, and and um, uh, now did you sneak anybody over the border or anything while you were there, or what's going on? No, not this time around. The car was pretty packed with the whole family. So uh, not this time around. Just, yeah. Good. It was a big family reunion on my wife's uh, side of the family. Oh. So we went right. to the beach, and my one-year-old daughter absolutely hated the water and the sand. Both days we went, yeah. and my son just kept wanting to keep walking. Not swim, just keep walking. Keep and walking on the beach? Keep walking no, into the water. Oh, into like, the water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, uh, he's he's four. I mean, right. he knew very well what he was doing. I just don't know why he kept wanting to keep going. Huh. So, well, of, of, it was a good time. Well, of all the beaches to drown at, the the ones in San Diego rank up there <laughs> near the top. Uh, yeah. So have you been? And this is just kind of I I don't know maybe quiz a Blaze fan or something. Have you been a Blaze fan for a long time? I mean, what's you became a fan of the Church Boys pretty quickly, which is fantastic as far as we were concerned. And and maybe you developed with a, a relationship with Billy earlier. But have you been a Blaze fan for a long time? Day one. Oh really? Since the since uh, the launch? Yeah. Huh? Day right. one of that website going up. I I've been following Glenn uh, for years now. My dad introduced me to him. Uh, several years ago. Wow. So yeah, as soon as the Blaze website went up, I just followed it and followed most of the writers and yeah. all their ventures and all that. So yeah. Oh, cool. Now, so, uh, for some for some reason, Billy, yeah, you know, took a liking to me. So well, you know, we've, we've been chatting on Twitter a lot, and it's funny because uh, my wife has two theories on Billy Hallowell. Okay. And it's kind of appropriate that you guys are talking to me now, mm -hmm. and he's not here. <laughs> She thinks she thinks he's a figment of my imagination. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, Pedro, how I wish that were true. <laughs> because every time, and and, and not, nothing against him, you know, he's, you know, he's a busy guy. Right. But you know, every time he he's about to come to Dallas, he tends to, you know, say it, and you know, I, I message him, he's like, oh man, let's hang out. Yeah, let's hang out. We need to go to Papacitos. He really loves this restaurant okay. uh, down here. Right. And. Um, I'm like, okay, cool. Well, just let me know. You know, I know he's a busy guy. He's probably doing interviews. Right. And nothing. <laughs> and I tell my wife, I tell my wife, hey, honey, you know, the next few days, Bill's going to be in town. I don't know what his schedule is. So, you know, just you take care of the kids while I, you know, go hang out with them or something. <laughs> and nothing. So, and she always asks, hey, what happened? I'm like, oh, you know, I guess he's, yeah, I always get the tweets of, yeah, hey, back in New York. Yay. Like, okay, cool. So okay, don't feel bad. I've known Billy for forever and I, I'm living in San Antonio. So I'm only a few hour drive from, from Dallas. He didn't tell yeah. me the last time that he was going to oh, Dallas. Man. Oh, wow. Okay. It's, so, but we we're laughing because we have all been through this. Yes. With Billy. Okay. This is, Billy. This, is, this is, this is not, it's not him being, okay. it's not him being mean or rude or picking on you or empty promises. Oh, I it's, figured. it's, I figured, yeah. <laughs> it's so Billy. It is so uh, no, I, I, I figured that's his mo, you know. Right. And I took I took two pictures with the guy, right. one during the lemonade event and one right. uh, during the restoring love event, 
And Wait. my wife just said, no, that's, that's Photoshop, you know, that's, <laughs> <laughs> the lemonade event, as in the epic video of Billy driving his driving fail in De- in Texas, that same event. Yep, that very same one. I missed them by ten minutes because I went to that very same stadium. Wow! <laughs> of course, it took it took me nothing five minutes to get there. Of I don't course. know where he was going. Well, Billy's, in, <laughs> Billy's incompetent. So, I mean, the, the if you if you map it on any phone. It's pretty direct. I don't know where he was going. <laughs> Billy's a buffoon, and everybody knows it. It's fine. So <laughs> No, guys, he literally went around. I don't know why he went around. <laughs> you know, he needed to take a right, and he went left into the highway. I mean, he just went around. It's he's, like you know, oh. two left or three rights make a left or whatever. So. I, I love – so your wife says he's either a figment of your imagination or what's the other thing? Oh, she just says I, I'm bas- I basically have a crush on him or something. Oh, well, yeah. And he just keeps, you know, dangling, you know, like – Oh yeah, I'll call you and just leave me hanging. Oh, he's a he's so. a he's a dreamboat, so everybody has a crush on yeah. Billy. Rebecca, <laughs> 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 no, 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 no. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, if you don't mind. I know that you are uh, you're in a band now. Um, one of the running jokes that my music major friends always love to tell me: what do you what do you call a person who hangs out with musicians? And the answer, of course, the is drummer. a drummer. Yes. So, uh, yeah. do you just hang out with musicians, or are you also a magi- musician? <laughs> I, I think I am. All right. I mean, I've, I've played in several places, so I think I'm 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 I'm, I'm okay as okay. a musician. Good. I'm not a professional musician, but yeah, I wish I was. So, what do you play besides <laughs> the drums? Uh, just drums and percussion. Uh, I have some knowledge of chords and things like that, but my my main forte is drums and percussion okay now and you're you're in a band I've, i'm giving you a chance here to you know hump the stuff that you're gotcha. doing what's what's the what's the band you're in do you guys have any upcoming gigs any of that stuff the band name is slaves wage we okay. are a christian metal band all right with a little bit of uh progressive uh rock infusion into it okay um and yeah the word progressive is not what it means and you know for listeners out there so. so i gotta be i gotta be honest with you when i first saw like you were one of the first people to comment on any of our shows on soundcloud uh, when we first yeah. launched this thing and it said progressive drummer and so i didn't say anything bad or i mean <laughs> until i talked about it, i said so who's this pedro guy because it said progressive drummer on i'm like that doesn't sound like someone who would be a part of our show but then <laughs> then he explained who you were and i'm like oh i'm bet he's talking about progressive rock stuff anyway so sorry Yes, I, I get that a lot. I always have to explain it, especially sure. on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, so not the first time. Yeah, progressive music, think Rush, Dream Theater. Yeah. Yes, that kind of music. That not all, it's, it's a musician's music. Right. Anyway, yeah, so we're a Christian metal band, and we have our third album that we're trying to finish. Okay. And it should be out in a couple months, actually. Finally, guys... If everything lines up, of course. Right. Yeah, a do you guys? Months. Do you guys tour a lot? Uh, we do. We try to do. I mean, we 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 stay mainly local. Two about two gigs a month. We do try every three months to go out of town. Okay. Last year we did a tour called Into the Night Tour, which uh, we joined a couple other bands, and all the money raised in those in those events uh, went to help uh, Still Creek Ranch, which they help uh, kids that have been rescued from the sex trade wow. industry. Wow. So, That's awesome. Yeah, that was a good. Yeah, that was a, that was a good tour, and it was. We actually got to go to the ranch and talk to the, the kids themselves, and they're wow. very open about their story. Wow. 
so a lot of us are just like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, it, it was a, it was an amazing experience. So you you've been doing the Slaves Wage now. It, were you, is Slaves Wage your first band you were in? No, I've been I've been in many other failed <laughs> bands, and you know, um, Slaves Wage. I joined Slaves. I've known the guys, uh, Jeff and James, are the founding members, the two right. guitarists, and I've known them for years, and they've always kind of try to hire me and hey, come on, come on, join the band. And right. I always, yeah, well, yeah. And I play a few gigs with them, but yeah. And uh, I don't know, man, like six years ago, I finally made it permanent. So Good. yeah, I mean, so, I play at church and stuff like that. So I've sure. always been active. But. Yeah. 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 And, and playing at church is fun because it's a different scene. It's a different crowd. It's a totally different vibe. It's, it's fun to play at church. Uh, um, now, where can people find your music? Is you guys have a website, or you do Facebook, or what's what's your deal? How do we get people in contact? Yeah, with you? yeah, uh, we have a website, but the best I think the best place to find about us is uh, our Facebook page. Okay. So Facebook.com/slaveswage. Okay. Uh, we're we're revamping the website, so right now it looks sure. really old and outdated. Right. Uh, but yeah, the slaves S L A V E S and wage W A G E. Right. Okay. Oh yeah. So who's your who's your who, who are your favorite drummers? Who are, who would you if you if you could pick a couple drummers to meet or uh, who would they be or maybe drummers you like? Will you you try to emulate or the kind of stuff that they do? Oh geez. Uh, first one obviously Mike Portnoy from Extreme Theater drummer. Yeah. Um, are you a Neil Peart fan? I have a, I, I like to listen to a lot of music. So. Yeah. Are you a Neil Peart fan? I suppose probably. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I just saw Rush a month ago here oh, in really? Dallas. That was phenomenal okay man yeah i got to meet my very first drum influence was louis weaver or petra oh yeah 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 yeah. and i got to meet them in 1999 in oh, canada cool. i lived up there for a few years sure. and uh i actually got to get, hang out with them because someone messed up their meet and greet time so for two hours i was the only one there with the band so yeah sure <laughs> i just got to hang out with them well, that's cool hours. you know uh <laughs> i like uh louis weaver or louis uh Weaver, did I get it right? Anyway, yeah, Weaver. Uh, he actually—it was funny because I, I grew up Nazarene and I still am, and he's a Nazarene. I mean, he was a member mm-hmm. of the Nazarene Church, so I got to—I connected with him somewhere, some sort of Nazarene event or something. I really liked him a lot. He was, and he was a very—he was um, extremely talented. I'm sure he still is, and and very solid drummer. That's the thing you could always say about him is he was always very solid yes. and and with it. Um, now, one of my favorites is uh, Tim Alexander from Primus. You ever listen oh to him? yeah, I'm, I'm a oh, huge, yeah. huge Primus fan, and he's like you listen to him and you think I'm not listening to a drummer, I'm listening to a percussionist, right? And a and yeah. a musician, yeah. and the guy is, in, is scary, scary talented. Uh, yes, he, I, I love him, and of course, you know John Henry Bonham. I mean, you can't. <laughs> oh, I mean, my of course my my little one year old, she loves rock and roll, I and mean, she loves the old stuff, and she's a big Led Zeppelin fan, and so I'll put on Moby Dick, and she goes nuts. And I'll I'll, I'll nice. turn on the video of it on the computer on YouTube or something, and she'll just sit there and just stare at him while he's playing. It's like, good girl. Nice. I'm so proud of her. She's my favorite child now. So. Meanwhile, good my job. daughter loves Taylor Swift, and oh. I've listened to Shake It Off about a million times, and doing? I want raising to your, your, puncture my own eardrums. Why are you raising your daughter? Why are you allowing anyone within your sphere of influence to listen to Taylor Swift? My husband. Oh, that is so... Not me. It's so disappointing. <laughs> and he defends our country? Wow. He does. It's oh, questionable. I know. So, so sad. Well, 
Well, well Pedro, well, I respect I respect Taylor Swift. I just don't care for her music, but she's a cool person. So. Yes, that's true. I do. I respect her. She's extremely talented, and she certainly yeah. she certainly puts herself out there as somebody who's genuinely a a nice person. And I and believe she's that. also exactly. vicious about defending herself. Yeah, which is cool. So yep, yeah, I'm okay with it. So anyway, all right. Well, Pedro, we're uh we're glad you were able to pick up the phone, and um, and of <laughs> course we called you when Billy wasn't here. Uh. So we'll have to, the next He is a figment of your imagination. <laughs> so, yeah, my, yeah, this is still ammunition for my wife to say he is a figment right, of my no, You so. still have no proof. <laughs> no. no. So, I mean, one day, I guess one day something will happen. All right. All right. Yeah. All right, brother. Well, it's good to talk to you. We're going to take a break here and hit into some other stuff. I just want to say hey and see how you're doing, and, and we will talk again. All right, thanks, guys. All right, and remember, it's and it's it's facebook.com slash slaves wage, right? Yep. All right. Well, we'll talk to you later, brother. All right, bye, guys. Okay, talk to you later. Bye. 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 All right. So. So you ready to take a break? To, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say segueing to our self-deprecatingness on women. Because I'm a woman and I have a small bladder, I need to go use the restroom. Okay, so you know what we'll do? We'll go ahead and take a break now. You can have a little potty time. And, yes. and we'll we'll come right back. Yeah, no, I'll be right back. Okay, we'll, we'll be right back. <laughs> Bye. Back to the church boys. All right, so uh, we had a nice long break. That was fun. Uh, thank you, Pedro, for uh, for picking up the phone and willing to be uh, accosted by us. And I swear to you, sometime we will call you with Billy. <laughs> Uh, and maybe we'll even have Billy talk to Mrs. Pedro, Mrs. Pedro Cortez. It's almost funnier to let that play out for I know. I'm kinda, a little while longer. I'm kind of tempted to to do a show where it's just me and you again or me or just me and call him again and know Billy. Or have Billy come on and then not say anything. Or, or, or have Pedro come on and Billy not say anything. Anyway, so uh, earlier, um, Ravette was talking about... Um, being a military wife and there's some stuff in fact she wrote a i think we mentioned it earlier a, a piece in reaction to the um the shooting in chattanooga mm-hmm. um and uh but there's another story out that you brought to my attention and um you know normally i would toss to billy and he would do this and billy being the professional he is he would just smoothly then just get into the story and talk about it but you bill you being um the the um the substitute for Billy and being about as professional as him. I'm just going to go ahead and throw it to you, uh, Sarah. What is this? Tell people about the story you, you made uh, me aware of today. Well, it makes me want to like panic and have, you know, pitchforks and torches and just (laughs) chaos and crisis. But that's, I mean, that's dramatic, but it's not an exaggeration because so this was posted to the blaze this morning at three in the morning by Oliver Darcy, who God bless his heart. Seriously. Like he is, churning out content at three in the morning on a regular basis. Right. And he has nothing better to do though. And it's amazing because I mean, it's a, it's a great story that I'm sure probably broke overnight and it's been one of the top stories on the blaze all day long. So um, seriously props to him for that. And then for all the other content that he does all the time. But right. so it's talking about in Denver, the FBI issued an alert to uh, military families in Colorado and Wyoming. And there's a huge, huge, military installation in Colorado um, that houses the Air Force and the Army, and it has the Air Force Academy right there in Colorado as well. So all right. of the, the future doesn't it leaders also, of the Air now Force. Doesn't it, doesn't it also house, and you'd be able to answer this as a as an Armed Forces wife and Air Force wife, 
uh, and this will show me show the world how nerdy I read, really am. Doesn't it also house uh, Stargate? I cannot confirm or deny that. Okay, good enough. Fair enough. I gotta leave it there. So then. we'll just move on. <laughs> um, but so anyway, this, this alert said that quote unquote Middle Eastern men were approaching family members of military personnel and trying to intimidate them into giving up information. Um, so I'm just going to read an excerpt. Uh, a, the wife of a military member was approached in front of her home by Middle Eastern males who told her that she was the wife of a U.S. interrogator. The alert said when the woman denied the claim, the men laughed. The individuals eventually left the area but were seen on other occasions, according to the bulletin. Mm. So what this tells me is that where military family members have always been targets wherever they are, but that they're searching out the homes of the military guys. And this follows, I think it was in May, right before Memorial Day, there was an alert sent out to military families about, you know, Islamic State threats on um, on military members. There was a list of, I believe, individuals who were like military mem- family members and their names and their locations were published somewhere on the web um, in the last uh, few months. So this is pretty, pretty intimidating and pretty mm-hmm. scary because, you know, like you're just trying to live your normal life. And because your husband happens or your spouse happens to be in the military, you're all of a sudden a target. And this kind of ties back into the piece that I wrote after Chattanooga, where they wear the uniform and when they're deployed, that makes them a target. That's Sure. Their camouflage uniform makes them a target. But now we're targets at home and we're targets when we go to the grocery store. We're targets when we go to work in the morning. Um, and that's pretty scary. And that's pretty big news right. that this is happening in Colorado and Wyoming. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, as a military spouse, you're always taught it's called operational security. And you're right. always taught to not display anything overtly that makes you a military member, like sure. no signs on your car, no signs on your house, that kind of thing. But, um, and even a few years ago, it was required that to get on to a military installation, you have to have, you had to have this little like registration sticker specific to the base. So it would go on your window near your state registration and your sure. inspection form. And so like, military um, uh, cars were being vandalized and targeted in local areas because that sticker made them mm-hmm. identifiable. Mm-hmm. So they no longer do that. And now on top of this, and then with, have you seen the the, the gunshots and the, the situation at Camp Shelby in Mississippi that happened yes. yesterday? Right. No, no one injured, no one hurt or anything, thank God. But um, what, I mean, it just seems that these types of things are, are happening on an increasing basis and it's, it's pretty terrifying to think that that it, that's our new reality. Yeah. So I got to ask if if your husband were stationed in Colorado or Wyoming or this, how would they alert you? I mean, this is an FBI alert that came out. Do they send these to all the families? I mean, would you guys have received an email? Or would somebody come to your door and say, "By the way, this is happening," that kind of thing? You yeah, know, it would have come through his chain of command. So it would have been like sent to him or they would have been a meeting at work okay. and then it would have gotten filtered to the families that way. Right. They have um, groups of people, groups, the family member groups there for each branch of the service. Right. It's called something different. And um, they, uh, you know, it's all the spouses. They get together and they kind of like do things together. And so they talk about issues okay. like this. I actually posted this story on our spouse Facebook page okay. just in case no one else had seen it. Right. Um, because it's important for people to know, to make sure that what you're doing is 
kind of, you know, a little bit more discreet because with social media, there's so much data out there for everybody that anybody can find you anywhere. Sure. You know, all they have to do is they have to like search, oh, do you like military pages on your Facebook? Right. Then maybe, you know, right. you're a military right. spouse or something. It's very easy. Yep. And unfortunately, these people are smart. They're not right. dumb people who live in caves like right. everyone wants to think. Right. They're intelligent and they can use information to their benefit so so did we have a special guest trying to come on my husband actually came home and i have no idea why he's home from work right now does he want to come on and say hello uh probably not he's more private than i am usually doesn't even want to say hi he tried to say hi and i shoot him oh you should i saw that you shushing him or pushing get out of here go away okay i thought maybe he's taking a break from taping a special across the hall and would want to come over and say hello but that's fine i could ask him no it's, it's fine you know. Yeah. No, he's he's I think he rode his motorcycle to work today, so he's oh, probably okay. disgusting right now. Does he ride a Vespa like Seidel? No, he actually has a legitimate bike. Oh, yeah? I have no idea what kind of bike it is, but I know that it's not a Vespa. Okay. <laughs> mine's a mine's a, a Honda Shadow Spirit eleven hundred. I love my bike. But uh his is uh no, that's not the name. He looked at a shadow. Yeah. The shadows are a little smaller. They don't make the shadow spirit anymore, but yeah, he um a bigger bike. he's a beginning he just started riding this summer so yeah. he's a newbie rider which is a little terrifying for right. me sure. um, and he keeps asking when are you going to let when are you going to ride with me when are you going to ride with me <laughs> I my answer to take my is wife. never right i my wife is very pro motorcycle and when i was getting my license years ago and she was talking about doing that as well and getting herself a bike but she's just never followed through on it she's got a million other things to worry about and she's kind of i mean that's just kind of passed she's not really into it that much anymore but um I've told her I'm not, I don't want to take her. There's a, you, you, once you're riding and you're doing it all the time, you're going, I really don't want to take somebody with me. There he is. <laughs> they can't see. He only, he can see. <laughs> so no one else can see. I didn't know this was the shirtless show. What if I'd have known that we'd have started out better. Could have been way more entertaining. Um, so that's something that you probably can't show on live. <laughs> going back to our swearing bit. Like a... Um, what was I going to ask you? Oh, so you were okay. distracted by yeah, I was, his by, manliness. I, this was amazing. Um, uh, totally thrown. <laughs> uh, so, oh, back to the the Colorado Wyoming thing. Does it seem yeah. so? I kind of, and I agree that they are intelligent. They're not dummies who live in caves. And anybody who's actually paid attention to the quote war on terror knows that, right? They know mm-hmm. they're not worth. But there's, they're still, they still do dumb things. Like they still announce the things they're going to do a lot of times before they do them. And they often open doors into their noses. And anybody who kills himself with a suicide vest isn't all that bright. Okay. That is all very, very true. But they still have technical know-how and they still have the ability to look people up and find out, like accuse this one woman of being the wife of an, you know, an interrogator, you know, and which she apparently was, but. Well, I think that they are, um, yeah, they do stupid stuff all of the time, but I think part of their, and this goes back to my time in Afghanistan and like dealing with insurgent propaganda, part of their saying what we're going to do before we do it is so that they can be very vague about what they're going to do. And then when something specific happens, well, we told you we were going to do it and now we're going to take responsibility. They, um, they are master manipulators. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they can take information and and they're not trying to convince us that mm-hmm. they can do it. They're trying to convince the people 
that they're working near and close to right. that they can do it. Right. So it's, um, yeah. it's terrifying. So, so I guess where I question though, their intelligence is if I'm a middle Eastern man with terrorist intentions, the last place I would go and start making threats would be Wyoming. There is no place whiter than Wyoming or a place more likely to put together a posse than Wyoming. <laughs> if you that go, if you go, if you are anything but white and, you know, waspy, you stick out like a turd in a punch ball. And so it's, doesn't that seem like you'd be very easily found if you're doing that kind of crap in Wyoming? But easily found probably, but kind of like, you know, how you get phishing emails. Yeah. Let's test the waters. Right. Let's see what happens. Let's see what the reaction is. Maybe it's their first step in whatever plan that they might have. Yeah. I don't know. That's yeah, just, that's and for me, I'm a totally a conspiracy theorist when of it comes to are. them. And I'm always looking at like, what's the next thing that's going to happen. So that's, it's a possibility. I could be wrong because yeah, be. I'm a woman and I'm wrong <laughs> a lot. You tend to be, that's fine. Um, <laughs> so uh, this has been just, this has just been fascinating. Uh, mm -hmm. I'd love to continue this conversation later. But we have to take a break. And right after this break, we have an interview coming up with uh, Carolyn Copeland and Christopher Smith that Billy and I recorded a, uh, a few days ago. And they are the creators and producers of that Broadway smash, Amazing Grace, that's taking place on uh, in New York right now. And uh, it's getting some great reviews, and it's got a great story. Anyway, uh, after this break, we'll come back and we'll play that interview for you. And then we'll close up with a, with a story that, well, it's one of, I'm, I'm letting... She, Sarah's in charge of, of contributors, uh, and so I, she picked one of the contributor pieces. We're going to talk about that a little bit, getting into a politics just a little bit, uh, and then we'll sign off, to, much to the relief of most of your ears. We will be right back. The Church Boys. The Church Boys. Man, I hate these guys. Well, we promised you an interview, and it's coming here in just a second. It's again with Carolyn Copeland and Christopher Smith. Christopher Smith, he uh, he wrote this musical called Amazing Grace, uh, and it tells the story of um, of uh, of Newton, who who wrote Amazing Grace in his days of a, as a slave trader and and all these things, and how he ch his life was changed. And anyway, it's a very Christian story, very much a conversion story. Uh, also, uh, getting great reviews on Broadway, uh, and then Carolyn Copeland's kind of the producer and director, and and uh, taking the head on and she knows the music industry and the musical industry and Broadway forwards and backwards. So anyway, Billy and I had a chance to sit down and talk with them about uh, what their lives are like, how they came to create the story and tell the story and get it on Broadway and what they hope to uh, achieve with it. So uh, without any further ado, uh, here's the interview and we hope you enjoy. Action. You're just Billy. How do, I don't know how he, okay, fine. Here, here's the, here's, here's the interview. <laughs> Action. It's Billy Hollowell and Chris Field here for the Church Boys. And I'm actually really excited about today because we have two people who I've had a chance to to chat with quite a bit and and they've got this amazing thing going on and it's it's called a Amazing Grace, and I think when people hear that they're pretty familiar with Amazing Grace, uh, the, the the hymn and the song. And what they're doing though, and the two people I'm talking about are Carolyn Copeland and Christopher Smith, is they have brought this show to Broadway, which we actually haven't done anything on the Church Boys um, about Broadway before. So this is sort of a first for us. But it's really cool because you have this faith-driven show in a place where you don't necessarily expect that. So uh, with no further ado, I will welcome Carolyn and Chris to the show. How are you guys doing? 
Pretty great. good. Thanks so, for having us. Oh, thanks for coming on. And and you guys are kind of in the throes of the chaos right now with getting this um, launched. You were in Chicago, and now you're in New York, and it's things are ramping up. And I have a million questions for you, but I guess we'll start. I just I love I know the story, and we've actually covered it on the Blaze behind how you came together. But I want to talk about that. You know, I guess, and this is sort of a loaded question because I know there's a lot of history to it. Um, so feel f- feel free to explain as you need to. But how did you guys meet? Well, I uh, I have been I found John Newton's autobiography years before, and I had the idea for a musical about John Newton and about Amazing Grace. And for anyone who doesn't know, John Newton was a slave trader in the 1700s, and he had this amazing wife and all these different experiences where he was actually enslaved himself, and then he turned it back on the slave trade, basically blew the lid off the slave trade, and became sort of the world's first whistleblower abolitionist, and really changed the way people viewed slavery in England. And then he wrote Amazing Grace, reflecting on this, this life that he had had. So I've been doing this for years, just sort of you know, on and off, uh, as an amateur, I'm not a trained musician, I'm not a trained you know, writer in any way. But uh, we started raising money in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, uh, a business partner of mine and I, and we actually brought it to New York just on a lark. We went into the Empire State Building and we were going to do a reading with a couple Broadway people we knew. And we didn't know who was going to come. We just sort of set it up and just said, you know what, we're going to put it out there. Whoever comes, comes and Alan Rocky Copeland, who had been a producer for years here in the city, came, and I'll let you tell the story, Alan. Now, and the one thing about your story that I love, and I want I want to talk more about this, and and I want to ask you, Carolyn, more about how you sort of came into this. But you were a you were a police officer, correct? Yes, yes. I were I had two, I had two careers. I was a church youth director, youth, youth and, and education director. And then I was also a police officer. So I'd, I'd, I'd do one part-time, I'd do the other full-time. And then every time I flip. So I sort of went back and forth and back and forth. And I love it because I think it's sort of, it's just like what an eclectic career, right? I mean, you, you've you've done all of these amazing things with, with your talent. You've been a police officer. You've done all of these really cool things. So, so Carolyn, tell me a little bit more about how you, how you came to meet Chris and what you were thinking when you first sort of saw at that point you know, this was obviously the infancy of this, what it was like and what you were thinking as you, as you saw and heard. Sure. So one of my investors from another project that I had just produced called the God committee. Um, he subsequently did other shows with me. He had invited me to this reading in the basement and I was just at the end of moving out of the land theater and I was really busy and I was like, you know, I don't really think I can go rob. I really can't go rob. I've got to be out of my building. And he said, just meet me here in the, just come, come for the reading. It won't, it was before lunch. I remember that. And, um, you know, I just was totally captivated by the score and Chris had a website uh, at the time, that played the music to, I think it was to tracks, right, Chris? Because it had a big sound. Yeah, you know? yeah, I, I created like yeah. that. Yeah, you had a tra- all these tracks. And I came back to my office, and I sent one of the songs to the head of the ad agency that I'd been using at the time. And I said to her, Barbara, 
tell me what you think about this. And she emailed me back immediately. And she is not a woman of faith. Uh, she's just a fabulous human being that uh, I trusted her commercial sensibility. And she said, I have goosebumps. I said, yeah, I do too. So I was totally taken with the score. And then we sort of began the long journey of putting an entire creative team around Chris, who was at the center of the wheel, and we had to find all the other parts. And um, that was sort of, you know, I had worked with Dave Barry many times, and I invited Dave in, and we invited Arthur Jeronin, and we brought in costume designers and set designers and orchestrators and, you know, and, and basically, you know, it was really from hearing one song, Testimony, that I really believed that this had the commercial potential which is, you know, quite honestly, the you know, it's the most overtly, it's the testimony of John Newton, but it's very powerful. And every night it gets a standing big ovation. Well, and you've been, I mean, you've been working in, you know, Broadway, off-Broadway forever in your company, CRC Productions. You've done, you've done so much. And in fact, I saw uh, one of your other shows um, that you produced, Freud's Last Session, a while back. Right, I love, right. I love that. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time, and um, so Chris, for you, you know, going going into this and sort of, you know, you you're doing this, but you feel driven to it. You feel, you know, God sort of having you on this path. What are you thinking as you meet Carolyn and you start going through this process? You, know, what's sort of going through your head? Because I imagine your vision for it. You know, I guess you never really know where you're going to end up, and now you're on Broadway. I mean, it's crazy. Well, every time I would reach these points where I had to step out and take, and, and I had to go where I, I couldn't see the next step. And every time I did, God just kind of opened up a door. And this is one, this was the big door. This was the one that led to, to all the other doors. Because what Carolyn did, and in addition to all the other things she did, was to gather around me a team of people who would fight for my vision, who would who would who would uh, want to tell my story uh, that I had written, but bring themselves completely into it too, so that we were we were building this 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 organic being that sort of spoke and sang and moved and and had light and costume and and it was just it's just a it's like a big being, it's like a family. And it was amazing to me to see it come together. Nothing I ever experienced in my life prepared me for it. So uh, as it started to grow, I had to leave my jobs, uh, and I had to put myself fully into this, which is a big risk. Um, but, uh, but I had faith, and I, and I thought, you know what? It's been 260 years. Nobody's told this story on the stage. It's meant to be. And I think what, what you see now each night on 41st Street at the Nederlander Theater is a vindication of that, that faith and that trust. Yeah, and I mean, for the for the two of you, because this is very different. I mean, there's so many shows, and you, I guess you've got the Book of Mormon. I mean, you can go sort of go down the line. And, and you know, I'm not going to go on a whole thing about, you know, whether Broadway is, is you know, anti-Christian or whatever, but I think that most people would agree Broadway hasn't been a place where there have been a lot of shows with a big faith a positive faith sort of presence. And you know, so what, what are the two of you hoping that this show, which is very unique for that reason, does? And what are you hoping the audience takes away from it? Well, for me, I'm hoping, first of all, that people come because it's a great show. 
and that they are thoroughly moved and entertained because we were really clear when we started this that we were not doing a church service, you know, that you could go for free. But here we're asking people to buy a ticket, so we wanted to make sure first and foremost that we were telling an excellent story with everything supporting that so that when you left you felt like you had the Broadway experience of Amazing Grace. And then, of course, we're hoping on another level that it really becomes a kind of healing bomb for the people who see it. You know, I mean, Judy Collins was there last night and she was moved beyond tears. And she just said, it is the perfect show for our nation, for our country, for our people at this moment in time. How could we have ever prepared to be on Broadway at this moment? You know, that's the divine intervention of the whole story, you know, but we're hoping that people are going to be willing to open their pockets and buy a ticket because it's great theater and it speaks to their heart and it speaks to their soul. So I, I, I want think, think sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Chris. Let finish answering Billy's question. I think for me, one of the most important things I've learned in this process is from my, my co-author, Arthur Jerome, who, who I, uh, we are co-authors on the libretto. And one of the important things he taught me was to trust the audience and to, to speak our truth, to speak the story, and let people make their own decisions. And it was such important wisdom because, you know, this isn't a message musical. It's not, there, there, isn't, there isn't a point that we're not trying to put, move people from A to B. What we're trying to do is present this man's life and the lives of those around him, and the, and the life of this nation, Britain, at the time, and then really hand it to the people and let them take whatever they will away from it. Some people are deeply moved on a faith level. Some people are moved on a social level. Some people are just moved on a personal level. And that is all great. We love it. And one of the most gratifying things is to, there at the Nederlander Theater, see 1,200 people standing at the end, and they, they always do, stand at the end and sing Amazing Grace together. It's one of the only things that we all can agree on at this point is, is just this, this song and the power of it and the power of, of transformation. And it's, it's just a great thing to watch. So uh, what I wanted to say, first, first of all, um, I love hearing the backstories on people's ministries and the projects that they that God has put on their hearts and the things that they've had an opportunity to do. Uh, and it's fascinating to hear. Another thing that I got to say is uh, it's fun to listen to Billy. He, Billy is so excited right now. <laughs> we, we did an interview. We did an interview with a guy who has been in the rock and roll and the music industry for, for decades. And Billy, Billy's eyes start to glaze over, and, and I'm just I'm just in it and asking questions. And now Billy's. Billy's asking all these questions now. Not that I'm, my eyes are glazed over. I think what you guys are doing is fascinating. But Billy, Billy's like a little schoolgirl right now, and it is fun to watch. Well, and, I love and, no, because I, I mean, I love. I am all about in the areas that we don't have, in the areas where representation isn't there for faith or for Christians, to to have that representation, but not in sort of the cheesy, awful, horrible way. To have really good projects and good shows, and I think that's what this is, and that so that definitely whether it's the media or or other forms of entertainment, um, you know, or universities, I'm just all about that. So that's why that's why I love this. Okay, whatever, Billy. <laughs> he's angling. He's <laughs> angling for a part. I might let you know. So, uh, but the question I wanted to ask was, 
and, and Billy kind of alluded to it earlier, Hollywood doesn't have a reputation, at least out here in the hinterlands where I live, of being faith-friendly, of being Christian-friendly. Uh, and I, you don't have to address that, but I do, I, I do wonder... How did you recruit people or um, get people to perform in this? Because you've got some high-caliber talent in this show. It's not just simply some cheesy Broadway show. This is a Broadway show with some serious talent. How did you get those people plugged in? I mean, I think we had a great casting director. And they came... I mean, Josh Young came for the first call for this in 2008 or nine, And he loved it so much, he stuck with it. I mean, he left another show to do our show in Chicago. The material, you know, first you have to get to the people, which our casting director did, and then the material, I think, won them over. Hmm. And I also think our director was, you know, uh, gave them the kind of confidence that they needed to, to turn another job down. Wow. The most gratifying thing for me is that, because you, you got to remember, every time one of these professionals, they're taking a risk. They're, they're believing in a show. They're leaving other work. Sometimes they're you know, leaving geographically to do it, that belief and that, that faith uh, in, in what we were doing, and each, everybody has a different personal reason for it, but it's just, it just moves my heart so much to realize we have triple Tony winners, you know, designing sets and lights and just this entire world. It really is, uh, it is fascinating that we got the team we did, and it makes a huge difference. Uh, to the show you see every night. So I I don't understand the Broadway world totally. Um, so how long do you how long will these actors be in this play? How long are in this musical? How long will you be in this theater on Broadway? How long will you be doing it? Well, uh, the thing about Broadway is that you're here. Uh, it, there's no set time. Like when we're in Chicago, we had a four week, four and a half week uh, run. When you tour, you're usually in the city one or two weeks, but on Broadway, you're here as long as the people come and buy tickets. Okay. So it is, you know, there's no prognosis at this moment of how long we'll be here. We'd like to be here for years, but that is indeed up to the public. All right. You know, they have to, yeah, they have, that's how it works on Broadway. You know, people have kept Mamma Mia open for I don't know how many years, you know, <laughs> and, um, is that a good uh, thing, or you know, is that a good thing? of the Opera, I think, is thirty years now. They've kept they've yeah. kept Mamma Mia open for a long time. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? So I'm just <laughs> saying that the public wanted to see it, so it's here. You know, if people didn't right. want to see it; it right. wouldn't be here. <laughs> right. Well, you know, and and I think the two of you, in, in talking with you both in the past about the show, and and I know now you, there's been even more time to sort of experience it and, and maybe see God work. Are there certain things that you've looked at and you've been like, okay, well, this is definitely God doing this. There's no other way this would have happened if dot dot dot. You know, had you had yeah, those moments? Yeah, absolute timing. I mean, we were waiting for theater December, January. February, March, April. Then we finally get the theater at the end of April, and we're in previews the week that this horror happens in our country, and the president sings Amazing Grace, and all of a sudden we have requests to do national television. You know, that's, I don't want to piggyback on somebody's horror, but it, the, the timing was really unbelievably providential that we didn't open in April or May or June. Yeah, that's actually, you know, I never even thought of that and how, I mean, yeah. you know, and it's not piggy. I mean, I think I think what you guys yeah. are doing is inspiring people with this story. Right. And it's interesting that it comes at a time when that song, 
you know, was used. All of it, yeah. Right, right. Well, it was inspiring people it, at an awful time. Um, yeah, that that's really interesting. And God I never may, even thought about that. And, and, and the Bible talks about, you know, it's in uh, Proverbs, that the steps of the righteous are ordered. God knew that you were going to be needed at a certain time, right? Well, that's it's, a nice. That is no. a great way to look at it's, it. Thank you for that. It's that's not, great. It's not, and, it's not picking back yeah, off the tragedy. Know. And we didn't know. So, so we were, you know, we were in the <laughs> we're in the dark for this took years to put together. Right. And we're asking and questioning, you know, why, why, you know, uh, why can't we be out there? Why can't we be doing good now? And I fully repent of all of my uh, anxiety and my uh, uh, wanting to push things. Uh, because this time was perfect. And, and to see the forgiveness from the families toward the person who just took so much from them, yep. was such a validation of what we show and the healing that is a part of our story. It's just such a great example of it. I, I, I don't know what to say. It's, it's, I do not believe in coincidences. Right. Uh, this is meant to be. Right. Well, I mean, and your musical puts a face to grace, right? And what those folks did down there in South Carolina put a face to grace. This is what grace yeah. looks like. This is getting something yeah. we getting something we don't deserve. I don't deserve this. And you're getting forgive, no. you're getting forgiveness. This 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 young man who who took these lives didn't deserve forgiveness, but he got it because right. of their grace that they showed because of Christ's grace that was active in their life. You know, there's a line in the show where one of the actors says, could it be that you were given your gifts to such a time as this? And every night when they say that line, I think, yes, thank you for bringing us to this moment that all of us were given our gifts for a time as this. And look at this. This is the time for this show. And um, I think it was... so embracing that all of our team was available, that everyone could return, that we could put it together in literally five or six weeks from when we got the theater, you know. So it is uh, the time is is now for us to be in this place, and we hope that we are here for a long time. Yeah, and it comes at a, it comes at a time when the country is so divided on so many fronts, and it's and you know you're looking for those stories of okay, what unites people, and what you know what can Christ do for people, and you know, and I think this is a story that that tells, I mean, it tells that amazing story, and so it definitely comes at I think a really good time where people can come together around something that uh, you know is is a in the end a really inspirational story and so i'm i'm excited about yeah. what you guys are doing and is there anything you would want people to know as we sort of close out about the show that maybe we haven't talked about well, i would i would say that one of the things and, and Karen just touched on uh that we could a paraphrase of a verse from Esther there's there's several biblical things throughout the show uh the book of Esther really is sort of the the uh, paradigm for the journey of Mary Catlett who is the female character who, who loves John and who is drawn into the abolitionist uh, uh, underworld. And it was an underworld at that time, and they, they were very uh, secretive and have to question whether her country is, is doing right or wrong in the world. The other one, of course, is the prodigal son, which is what uh, John Newton based uh, Amazing Grace on. And then the other one, of course, is this sort of the Old Testament theme of when you go so far into yourself and so far away from what you're called to do that God sort of says, I'm going to hand you over 
the tormentors. And that's exactly what happened to John Newton. And, and in Act 2, we see that John Newton actually was enslaved himself. He was treated as a slave. And uh, John Newton knew that that was a big part of his transformation. We've tried to honor all of that throughout the entire um, throughout the entire story. But the story of the prodigal son is paraphrased. He actually reads from the Bible in the story. I don't know if it sounds, um, you know, like a hokey or religious. It's done in a way that, that is very artistic and very theatrical. But it's there, and it's a foundation, and it's something that gives the piece cohesiveness and power. So do you guys have anything else up your sleeves, uh, either with, with this musical or with any other projects oh, you might be working on? Always. <laughs> <laughs> no, we hope that it go, we hope that it goes uh, everywhere, and uh, you know there's always you know many many ways that a musical that works on Broadway can can go out into the world and and change things. Yeah. And then there are other ideas and things. So. Well, I was going to ask you, you know, is is you know, would you guys ever consider? And I know there had there have been other forms of movies, not specifically. I don't think on on this angle of the story, but would you ever consider, you know, moving forward trying to get a movie in the works or anything like that? Do you have a, do you have a funding idea for us? <laughs> no, we'll, no, but Billy has. A, do you have your wallet? You no, have a checkbook, right? B- Billy, yeah, no, yeah. I don't know how much I'll be able to give, but Billy, I think it would be great. our business. <laughs> Billy has a lead actor in mind, though. Yes, myself. Oh. <laughs> oh, Billy, Billy, is, Billy is star of stage and screen, so you need to understand that about him. Are you talking about my extra role in Left Behind yeah, in, the, exactly. in the cinematic classic <laughs> Left Behind? <laughs> you know, we definitely think this would make a movie. This will make a great movie. Hmm. We have no doubt that this should be a major motion picture. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it makes sense. And I think yeah. it's something people. It's a would. big movie. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, listen, we really appreciate you guys coming on. and Thank and you. Thanks really for excited. having us. Thank you. Come back again. We want to Great. make sure you guys Thank come back you. And talk to us more. All right. Absolutely. Great. We'll see you at the okay. show. Have a good see one. See you at the Thanks. show. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. And now, back to the church boys. They're a real pain in my ass. All right, we're back for one final church boys, I guess, church persons? Church, church people. Pe- church peeps, church people um, break here. We're, we're not going to go real long here, but because um, we have really actually spent more time doing this than I thought we would, which is, yeah. you had more to say than I, you know, that was relevant than I thought we would. So we actually, no, it's not kind. Um, I can be prolific if I want to be. Most days I'm not. You can work on not being. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, Sarah, like I said before, Sarah runs our contributor section, and, and every once in a while there's a, a piece that really catches our eye. And there's one from t- that was posted today um, about the Koch brothers. And as everybody knows, the left loves to hate the Koch brothers. Somehow they have some horrible conspiracy uh, to take over the world and to destroy America, and that they have these insidious ideas. And there's a piece online today about, and I want to get the headline correct here, says and and again this isn't written by a, a left winger uh as far as i know um it's a guy i think who's who's takes a very fair look at things anyway it's called don't let the coke brothers be kingmakers um and he talks about the money in politics and the fact that they've they've vowed to invest something like 900 million dollars in the next election to get a republican elected president or something along those lines anyway his thing is don't let them decide who's going to be 
the GOP nominee. Um, but I'm a big, I'm not, I, Sarah, what was your take on this? Kind of explain his piece, if you don't mind, and so, uh, and let people yeah. know. So the, the contributor, his name is Rob Ron Fine, and he is a constitutional lawyer, and he looks at um, const- everything from a constitutional perspective. Um, he works for the legal director for free speech for, for people. He's a legal director for free speech for people, excuse me. And um, so the piece is about how Charles Koch warned oh. over the weekend <laughs> that um, – if mega conservative donors don't start participating in the 2006 election, um, America is quote unquote done for. Okay, and I can, so I can he, understand that argument. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. And he goes on to speak about how there are, I think, five Republican candidates who are are meeting with the Koch brothers and they're trying to, um, to, to be, I guess, their favorites. We have... Marco Rubio, Jeb Bush, Scott Walker, Ted Cruz, and Carly, whose name last name I cannot pronounce. Fiorina. Thank you. Uh huh. Um, who try, Who are they? They all met with um, the Koch brothers, and Go they're Paris. trying to uh, to figure out who is going to get what money. Okay. And so he point Ron points out that there are two candidates in the GOP race that are um, pretty high value for very libertarian libertarian and conservative minded people right. who are being ignored by the Koch brothers. Koch brothers. Uh, we have Rand Paul and we have Rick Santorum who are just not wanting to play bo- play ball at all with these people. They want to spend time with the voters instead of um, with the Koch brothers and Koch brothers. They're, they're letting people know that. Now Santorum, I could understand because the Koch brothers are very uh, libertarian Um uh, and they're they're not conservative on social issues at all. They are they're 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 quite libertarian and and actually liberal on a lot of social issues. So I can understand Santorum's not being connected to them. I don't understand the Rand Paul angle though. And from what I'm gathering from from his piece, and I I you know I, I read the pieces and I edit them and I, I verify them, but I don't dig too deep to see you know where all the ties come from. And he mentions in the piece that uh, they wa- they wanted uh, Rand Paul to come to this event and speak at this event over the weekend, along right. with the other five people. And Paul said, no, I'm going to go spend my time in Iowa uh, with right. voters. Right. That was the impression that I, that I walked away with when I was reading the piece, yeah. um, which is admirable. And I think that that's his point. It, Ron's point is that, you know, you shouldn't let the Coke, the, excuse me, the Koch brothers. Koch brothers. And he had it right. Uh, decide who is going to be the front runners. And I mean, yeah, they have a lot of money and they should be able to, to spend it uh, on who advocating for whoever right. they think is the best person sure. to run for office. But I think Ron's point is that it shouldn't all be all about the money. And Don't when you have decide. this many GOP candidates, it becomes what he's calling a money primary right. where whoever spends the most gets the most. Well, and... and there's a part of me that really agrees with that idea of doing that because listen, and, and I've said to you before, and, and I'm stealing this from Phil Graham because Phil Graham in the, I was, I was in the, I was in the Senate for the debate over uh, McCain Feingold or the campaign finance reform. And we were fighting against it tooth and nail. Our, our office was very conservative leadership office. And uh, we were fighting McCain on this cause we hated it. And, and Phil Graham was excellent. He went to the floor and gave a speech. Phil Graham was the ten- Texas, Texas Senator. And, uh, 
Graham was talking about, he said, listen, if I believe that so-and-so is the next Thomas Jefferson, I should be able to sell everything I have and give it to him because I believe so deeply that he's exactly what our country needs. And if the Koch brothers believe that, they should be allowed to do that and shouldn't be looked at negatively for doing that. That said, this should be not a call for limiting the Koch brothers. It should be a call for, hey, everybody else is worried about the social conservative side, the Santorum types. You got to get your butts in gear and start promoting the things that you care about. If you want social conservatives supported, there's a good chance that the Koch brothers' ideas are not going to be lining up with your ideas. So you need to get your butts in gear. For for me, the other side of this is also how it's portrayed in the media, where it's like, who, no one ever talks about who is funding Hillary Clinton. Right. No one ever, no one worries at all where her money is coming the from. The money laundering that happens through the Clinton Foundation and through the unions. Heresy. That's blasphemy. How dare you? <laughs> but, but it's also true. Don't bring it up. We're not allowed to talk about that, remember? It's so, like her emails. It never happened. Right. But I'm, So I, I agree. And that's, that's a big thing that we need. I, my, my thing is, and it's the transparency thing, I am all for lifting all the limits. I think there should be no caps on what you can give to people. Just full disclosure. Every dollar you give to somebody, you should have to disclose it. So if I want to give $1,500 to so-and-so and and $15,000 over here and and a million over here, I should be allowed to. It's my money because, and they'll say, well, it's, you know, it's, it's not money isn't speech, you know, well, the things that are protected by the first amendment are, and, and, and the courts have actually said money is speech are freedom of speech and, and freedom of religion and freedom of association, all the things. And the freedom of the press. Well, don't tell me the Washington Post company isn't a multi-million dollar corporation that is giving millions of dollars worth of coverage and free advertising to liberals. Well, it's their mm-hmm. free speech. Why is that? Why is it that I, in order to have full free speech with my money, I have to actually own a media company? I have to have a yes. newspaper. So if I own a newspaper and I want to invest. If if I'm a, if I'm a, a multimillionaire or a billionaire, and I want to I want to spend a billion dollars promoting Hillary Clinton or Ted Cruz, either one, I can't do it by donating directly to Ted Cruz or Hillary Clinton. I have to go roundabout to PACs and that sort of thing. However, if I buy a newspaper and want to spend hundreds of millions of dollars pushing that newspaper out there and putting a magazine out there or whatever and promoting Ted Cruz or Hillary Clinton, I can do that. And that's covered by the First Amendment. But somehow, if I don't do it through a newspaper, it doesn't it doesn't count as free speech. Yeah, and it's like when the week before the, the election actually happens or the primaries happen, it, and I, I don't think this has much of an influence anymore because people can guess where editorial boards of newspapers are going to lean. Uh, But it used to be, especially and still probably in local and state elections, it's huge to see who they support. Right. And you're absolutely right. Like there's, they're throwing their weight behind somebody and at the same time while they're objectively covering them. Right. Right. So why can't I as an individual citizen do that? Right. So they they can spend $10,000 putting out an editorial saying we endorse so-and-so, but I can't put $10,000 out endorsing them in the same way by putting $10,000 into the campaign account of whoever it is I like. Mm-hmm. That's just and, obscene. And I'm with you in terms of it, just be open and transparent about who you're donating money to. And then in return, be open and transparent about why you set certain policy and uh, uh, agenda perspectives like as a result of those right. donations, because exactly. it's, it works both ways. Like politicians get money from somebody right. and then they decide well, the that they're going to support that. Right. That's the importance of the full disclosure is like, I need to know who all your donors are, because if you're if you're somebody who's receiving, you know, 
uh, fifty million dollars from you know the banking from the banking industry, and then you putting out pro banking stuff. I should know that. I thought I yeah. told you not to talk about Hillary Sorry. Clinton and her Sorry. campaign finance. Sorry, never mind. <laughs> anyway, but I do like his point in that conservatives. You have a great opportunity here. There are seventeen candidates. Is there really that many? Seventeen. Half of them oh are God. pretty good. You know, yeah. or at least decent, fair to Midland, right? And Donald Trump's at the top of your list, right? Sure. But I don't want to, <laughs> in the same way that I don't want to tell the, I don't want to, I want to say, don't let the uh, GOP establishment decide who your candidate's going to be. I would also say to conservatives, don't let the Koch brothers decide in that you need to be supporting the person that you believe in. You need to be going out and advocating. You need to be on Facebook. You need to be getting together with your friends and raising fun and doing, do, raising funds and doing an events if it's something you care about that much. So, but that takes work. It does. And we are a In lazy effort. people. Yes. As you, you pointed out on Twitter, what would what did you call Billy this morning? He's lazy and Let's see. something. Uh, what was it? Something about... Oh, it would have been so much funnier if I had remembered it verbatim. <laughs> I don't know. I say, lots of, I say lots of hilarious things on Twitter, so I can't remember what my latest one was. And now I'm searching for it, and we have this awkward moment <laughs> okay. where there's nothing Let's happening. <laughs> I'll let you find it because I don't. I don't really remember something about yeah, being I... lazy, and that's a good way to close the show. Let's make fun of Billy for just a, a minute here as we get ready to close the show. Did you find it? Blame Billy. Blame Billy. Uh, that's Blame the Billy. show title. Blame Billy. We'll call it. Yes. We'll call it Blame Billy. Uh, because for... of him, you got to experience the game. What can I say? Which, so I blame Billy for being fired. That's yes. what we're going to call it. Um, you can also blame Billy just in general for my presence on the show today. So I, um, I'm i blaming him for that. I was, like, I was desperate. We needed to record a show, and we're not uh, good enough to have a best of show yet. So I had to put something together. Yeah, I think I, I texted um, Chris, and I was like, <laughs> I have the best idea ever. You should let me co-host the Church Boys, <laughs> and we'll call it the Church People, and we'll dress up in costumes, and it'll be awesome. <laughs> we did not dress up. <laughs> well, so it was less awesome. Well, one third of the people who appeared on Skype today was topless. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I shan't tell you which third. <laughs> Can I say? <laughs> you got my. Oh no, I gotta. Okay, so now I have to go add that to the list. <laughs> Can I say? <laughs> you cannot. Okay, we're gonna, you know, we need to get out of here before. You can't see me, but I'm about to drop the mic and walk away. (laughs) So, we need to get out of here before we really do damage to ourselves. So, any (laughs) advice for the people out there, Ravette? Read the blaze, find the contributor section, and mercilessly taunt Chris and Billy on Twitter. Absolutely. We love to come after us. Uh, ask us questions. And again, in, in semi-seriousness, uh, do come after us on Twitter. Talk to us on Twitter, on Facebook. We're very active. We want to know what you think of the show. And if you have questions or comments or ideas you want to talk about, anyway, let us know. And thank you, Sarah, for contributing today. It was it was lovely. <laughs> we'll talk to you later. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye, Felicia.
church boy.